0: Welcome guys and gals to the Man Talks Podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. The mission of Man Talks is to help develop self-aware, high-performing, and impactful men in the world, the type of men you want to be, and the type of men you want to be around. For all the guys that are listening out there, don't forget to head over to Facebook and join the Man Talks community. We've got some incredible men from all over the world joining on a conversation uh, around fitness, around fatherhood, around finances, and we have some great weekly challenges, some great shares, and some great conversations on how to achieve the results that you are looking for in your life. So joining me today is Tom Bilyeu. So Tom is uh, a very well-known American entrepreneur, and he's best known as the co-founder of Quest Nutrition, the second fastest growing private company in North America on the Inc. 500 list for 2014. Incredible, incredible entrepreneur. He's also a board member on the uh, XPRIZE Foundation. That's Peter Diamandis. So Billy, so Tom actually co-founded Quest Nutrition back in 2010 alongside a couple of business partners, and the company grew by fifty-seven thousand percent in its first three years. You didn't you didn't hear that wrong, fifty-seven thousand percent in the first three years and was ranked number two on the Inc. five hundred fastest growing companies in the United States in two thousand fourteen. So an absolutely meteoric rise to success. But we're not going to talk about Quest Nutrition today. We are actually going to dive into uh, his new company called Impact Theory. So in October 2016, Tom and his wife Lisa started Impact Theory. It's a for-profit media company designed to leverage the self-sustaining power of commerce to radically influence global culture. So Impact Theory really has uh, a three-stage plan, which we dive into in this. But really what we talk about today is the mindset... Of successful entrepreneurs. So we get right into what does it take to be a successful entrepreneur? What are some of the hurdles that most people will face in their professional life, whether you're running your own company, whether you're a VP, whether you're a full time employee? What are some of the things that we face on a day to day basis? Uh, What are some of the things that we need to know from a mindset perspective? And then we dive into marketing. We dive into the future of marketing and how social media has shifted marketing, how we can leverage personal branding which gets talked about a lot, how we can uh, manage personal branding to actually grow our business and grow our career, regardless of the field that we're in. And then we dive into a a few different topics uh, and go deep into how we can perform at our best from not only a mindset perspective, but how we can build a community around us to support us. So we cap off this podcast interview by diving into community and how technology is also shifting, how we build communities, how we connect with people in person, and how that will continue to shift over the coming years. So before uh, before I bring Tom on, I just want to remind everybody out there out there that's listening, please subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a, reva- a rating and a review goes a long way. Uh, we have seen a huge amount uh, of downloads in the past month or two. We've actually doubled our downloads in the past month. So if you're tuning in, if you're brand new, Thank you for joining me. If you have been sticking around with us since the beginning, which many of you have, just know that I have so much love for you and so much appreciation and so much gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's because of listeners like you that we get to keep going. So I appreciate you. Uh, So without any further delay, I would like to bring on Tom Bilyeu.
1: Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to be here.
0: Likewise. I had a lot of guys actually reach out and specifically request you, you know, like usually I get the like, oh, get Tim Ferriss and like, oh, you know, get Simon Sinek. But, you know, your name kept popping up from from a bunch of the guys in the community. So I was really excited uh, when you agreed to come on the podcast. So thank you,
1: dude. Uh, a, absolutely my pleasure. And B, to all the guys out there that gave me a shout out, man, I am super grateful and uh, honored to be here. So, yeah, that's really cool to me. Awesome. Awesome. So let's just uh, kick things off the way that we normally do
0: here on the Man Talks podcast. So if you could tell us a story about a defining moment for you that has made you who you are today, that'd be great.
1: Absolutely, man. So for me, this really is a case of trying to pick, you know, I really feel like there's for anybody paying attention to their life, there's really gonna be a lot of defining moments that are gonna either move you in a new direction or become a real building block to your belief system. And at the end of the day, I think it's our belief system that really drives us. But one thing that has become so seminal in my life, and when I saw it, I even then I knew it was important, but I didn't know how much it continued to echo through my life. So when I was fresh out of film school, And really felt like I had failed and had done well in the early days of film school, and then just had a catastrophic failure right at the end on like the biggest project, the most visible one, the one that was supposed to really set me up and get me that three picture Hollywood deal and just make, you know, the rest of my life was gonna be set. And I crashed and burned in the most spectacular fashion possible. And it took me from believing that I was innately talented to realizing that I had no talent. And with a fixed mindset that left me feeling like, where do I go from here? Like, if I'm not talented in the thing that I love most, now what? And if you've ever seen the movie Amadeus, there's a character in that movie named Solieri, and Solieri believes that his curse is being just good enough to realize how much better Mozart really is. And so he's this very tragic character in the movie because he's good enough to get how far he still has to go. And that, that was my Solieri moment. And for years, I actually referred to myself as Solieri, which looking back on that now is, is just too painful for words. But a couple of years, um, actually just over a year after I graduated from film school, I went to a comic book convention. I'm just a total nerd when it comes to that stuff. And I walk around the corner and there's this huge like panel set up and you've got Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Joe Pantaleone, uh, Joel Silver, who produced the film and a bunch of other people on the film. And I was like, whoa, like I. I always bring that up because it was such a surprise. Like I wasn't expecting that. I was in this totally introverted moment where I'm, you know, just combing through box after box after box of comics. And so to come around the corner and suddenly realize that some of the most famous people in the world are sitting right there and they're talking about this new movie coming out that I was really hyped to see. And they're like, we're handing out tickets. And it's going to be a special screening on the back lot of Warner Brothers. And at that time in my life, there literally was nothing more exciting you could have said to me. So I take this ticket. I'm super amped up. I go to Warner Brothers. I'm waiting outside. They let us in. And have you seen the movie? Oh, The Matrix. Absolutely. Yeah. All three of them. Awesome. Okay. So, and sorry, I should have said That's that, okay. that. The Keanu Reeves panel, all that was all about The Matrix. And so Carrie Ann Moss plays Trinity. So it was just like, I couldn't believe all these people were sitting there. I go into the movie theater. And the, you know, the lights go down and they do the opening sequence and you get Agent Smith and he goes, no, officer, your men are already dead. And then they cut up and Carrie Ann Moss's character Trinity jumps and in the air goes into slow motion. The camera spins around her and everyone in the theater at once just goes, oh, my God, like (laughs) freaks out. Now, I've never, ever in my life, I've been to so many movies you can't imagine. I'd never Had an audience react like that? It was unbelievable. And I just remember thinking, whoa, like this is a moment. And I was so blown away by that and so caught up in the movie. Just from that, the like pure visuals, it was just interesting. They were doing something new. But then what ended up changing me as a person was the philosophy that sat at the center of the film, which is essentially you can do anything you set your mind to if you're willing to work at it. And maybe more important than work at it, you're willing to believe. And that sense of belief is something that runs through the whole film, that planted a seed in my life, which blossomed into me being able to reject the fixed mindset that I had in film school, that when I realized that I didn't have talent, I thought that was a sentence forever. I thought that it meant I didn't have talent, and I was never going to have talent. And that movie made me realize you can learn anything. And so it freed me from feeling stuck and trapped by my own inabilities and gave me a new narrative where I could see myself as somebody who could learn. And it sent me on this quest to figure out what was my matrix and what was my version of jacking into the matrix. And I realized that the matrix was my mindset. It was my belief system. And my version of jacking into the matrix was reading. And so then the only thing left for me was what was my Kung Fu and my Kung Fu ended up being business. And so that became the skill set that I developed relentlessly in order to get really good. You know, I mean, the whole point of the things that they learn in the matrix is to become effective at either escaping the agents who are chasing them or saving the world, right? The skills had very specific application. And that framework literally became the framework for my life. And I began to act as if, right? Act as if I could acquire skills as easily as they did in The Matrix by reading books. I couldn't, you know, jam a metal rod into my head and actually show up in a magical world, but I could read and I could learn and I could practice and I could go in a mental dojo and really see if the skills that I were acquiring had utility or not. But the most important thing was I decided. And it's really important to understand that it was simply a decision. I decided to believe in myself. And in deciding to believe in myself, I began to take the steps to actually become capable of the extraordinary. Amazing, man. I love it. It was, it was interesting.
0: I was like caught in the uh, in the conversation about Amadeus because I love that movie. I actually have a degree in music, uh, a back, background in in, uh, in classical music. And so you're talking about Solieri. And it was interesting because Solieri's career didn't, didn't go anywhere because he got caught in resentment for Mozart and basically tried to sabotage him. And it's interesting to hear your shift away from that. Oh, I'm only good enough to be at this level into, you know, having the matrix like really impact you in in that way and kind of open your eyes to this new new perspective. So I like, I absolutely freaking love that you're speaking to the nerd part of me, which is amazing. And probably the nerd part of so many of our listeners. Um So that's, that's amazing, man. And I mean, you, you talk about the, the sort of, you know, quote unquote matrix that we live in and and breaking free of that can you unpack that a little bit because i've heard you talk about that a couple times before and i think that it's it's so powerful
1: for for us to like really understand and grasp definitely so the matrix is akin to david foster wallace's talk called this is water and in that talk he's basically saying the fish is the last one to realize that it's living in water because it's so ubiquitous it's so ever-present that you don't notice it, right? Like take us, we had to discover air, right? So even though you're breathing it in and out all the time, even though if somebody were to clasp a hand over your mouth and plug your nose, you would go into a state of panic. Like we still never thought, oh, this is actually something. So that's the same thing with belief. Your belief system has been constructed, but it is so ever-present. It is so... From the moment you came out and your parents began teaching you things, acting in a certain way, your collisions with the world and the way that it works is all building this frame of reference. It's all building this belief system, but its it's been around for longer than you've been storing memories, and it's so ever-present that people don't realize that it's a construct. Now, once you realize that it's a construct, you realize you can tear down a belief system that doesn't serve you and build one that does serve you, and that a belief system is actually not about objective truth, right? Objective truth essentially doesn't exist. There are a few things for sure. I wouldn't want to challenge gravity. That's probably pretty objectively true. But where people get themselves in trouble is they believe things about themselves to be objectively true. I'm dumb. I'm ugly. I'm fat, whatever the case, whatever trap they're falling into. I'm a slow learner. I'm a slow reader, like not realizing these are merely states of being that can be altered at any time. So because they have this belief system that is holding them back, that to me is the matrix. So the matrix is the perfect metaphor for people's belief systems. So just like in the movie, and spoiler alert, uh, if you haven't seen it, you should go out and see it immediately. But in the movie, Neo has this moment where he has to do the jump, as they call it, where he has to make this impossible leap from one building to the next. And they say, you know, nobody makes the jump the first time. And they're all the other characters are debating, you know, is he going to make it? What would it mean if he makes it? What does it mean if he doesn't make it? And of course, when he goes to jump, because he doesn't believe that he can make the jump, it just seems impossible to him. He can't wrap his head around the fact that he's in the matrix. And so you can do what you can believe, because it's, you know, not quote unquote the real world. Um, and he jumps and he falls. And everybody, you know, is like, oh, what does that mean? Is he not the one? Because he was supposed to be the one and be able to do like, you know, things nobody else has ever been able to do before. So that to me, like, and then the movie as it unfolds, you begin to realize that in the end. He, and again, spoiler alert, he is the one because he finally believes in himself. But the only difference between him in the beginning and him at the end is self-belief. That's it. And so that is just why that movie, as a metaphor, I think is so perfect for what we all go through. As long as you don't believe you're capable, you will fall. But the moment you believe that you're capable... You're going to take the steps you need to actually acquire the skills that you'll need to actually execute, right? And look, it's a path of skill acquisition. It's not, oh, you believe and now you could go win a boxing match. It's, oh, you believe and because you believe you'll actually step into the gym, you'll actually put in the effort to train, you'll seek advice, like all of those things. But humans lead with belief. We lead with belief. So until you believe, you're just not going to do it. And so the one thing that I think is very easy for people to believe and is that moment in which you unlock the matrix and get out is not when you believe you can do anything. It's when you believe that you'll put in the work to learn what you need to learn.
0: Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And I think that, you know, one of the things that you are talking about in here is not just like being able to tap into our belief. But the execution that comes after that, I think, is so imperative, right? Because one of the things I see a lot of people as they hear statements like, oh, you know, leap in the net will appear and just believe in yourself. and And so there's this perspective that like, that's it. That's kind of like the end. That's the that's the one step in the one step process is like if you want to get better results, just believe in yourself and the rest of it will shift. But I think that what you're saying is, yeah, believe in yourself, and there's other steps after that on the on the ladder, like execution, which is actually going to bring some of the results that you're ultimately looking for.
1: No question. Yeah, I was and, just going
0: to say. Go so, ahead. how does this how does this play into high performance? Because one of the things that you know we talk really a lot about here on Mantox is this sometimes this idea of high performance, what that means in your in your health, in your business, in in your relationships, whatever aspect of your life that you want to be a high performer in. And it seems that you know the more that I looked at impact theory and Quest Nutrition and the businesses that you've built, and when I hear you speak and when I look at your companies and like the the cultural DNA of what you've built, a lot of it is around. And maybe you don't use the verbs of high performance, but a lot of it is really around what I perceive to be the concept of high performance. And so I would love for you to unpack what what high performance means to you in this day and age of things like biohacking
1: and whatnot. Yeah. So I think that ultimately everything is about your goals. So what are your goals and are you actually achieving them? So I'm somebody that wants to play on a world stage and I don't expect everybody to adopt that desire. But if you want to play on a world stage, if you want to have a championship at the end of the day, you need to become capable of the extraordinary. And there's just really no substitute for that. So for me, high performance is for me. Okay not again, not asking everyone to adopt this, but for me, high performance isn't just like, am I better than myself? Which I think is amazing. It's a great place to start. But at the end of the day, it's also like, how do I compare? Right? So I build businesses. That's what I do. And I want my business to be successful. I want it to be the most successful. So when I think about the difference between what is high performance and what is performing your best, those are different. So to me, you should be performing your best at all times, cognitively optimizing, getting sleep, going to the gym, meditating, eating right, those are all things that are about performing your best. Now it's about to really engage in high performance. It's about making your best world class. And to do that, my friends, you will have to be prepared to break yourself in half. The amount of work that playing on a global scale demands of you is Absolutely astonishing! It's it's kind of breathtaking in like a really cool way that like there are just some people they are willing to pour themselves so completely into getting great at something that they actually get great at it. They actually get results that you can look at objectively from the position of measuring something and say they have out.
0: Yeah, I, I like that, and I think that you know what you're alluding to in in many ways. Like one of the, one of the things that I sometimes get in trouble for is. Is a statement that not everybody's cut out to be a world class entrepreneur. Some people, it's not that it's a, it's a born trait necessarily, but that some people just inherently aren't going to be fulfilled by that. And some people just don't have the necessary skill set to actually go and do that. It's like saying you or I or anybody in the world could be a world class opera singer. That'd be absurd. People would, people would disagree with that uh, to the ends of the earth, but because entrepreneurship seems to be this very front and center. Mainstream, modern sort of like rock star lifestyle now there's this there's this sort of like culture that's popped up that everybody and their dog wants to be an entrepreneur and think that they have what it takes in order to be you know quote unquote world class so i'm I'm curious to get your insight on that. Do you think a that everybody can you know be an entrepreneur and and b, what do you think it really takes? you know you're talking about world class entrepreneurship? Um, what do you think it really takes to get to that level? What are some of the things that you've seen that people have had to sacrifice uh, and 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 the and the price that they've had
1: to pay in order to get where they are today? All right, so let's start with the concept of minimum requirements. I will assume that the there are definitely some people, and I'll say if you're too far below 100 IQ, it's probably just not going to happen for you, but there are obviously um, exceptions to that. And I know that Richard Branson, I think, has is IQs in the 90s, if I'm not mistaken, and Nonetheless, he's crushed it and just done extraordinary things. So even that, there's some flexibility on. But assuming you meet minimum requirements, however, we're going to define those of just intellect, the ability to process data, that you absolutely, without question, can become a world-class entrepreneur. Now, I think the example that you used is amazing. You're calling them essentially the modern-day rock stars. That's perfect. Because not everyone can be a world-class opera singer, which requires a very specific type of a vocal ability and pitch and all that, which life has taught me that while you can get a lot better, there are just some people that instrument that is their voice from a physical structure perspective just isn't there. So unless you're willing to dedicate yourself, which I suppose is possible, unless you're willing to dedicate yourself to figuring out how to genetically alter somebody so that you can change their vocal cords and give them that thing, which, hey, you could. And if if you're willing to do that and you've got the timeline to pull it off, more power to you. But we'll say without sort of that level of modification that most people uh, are, sorry, there are certain limits to that. But a rock star, and I will very much put entrepreneurs in this camp, there are a thousand different ways that you can become that. So there are rock stars that can sing incredibly well. There are rock stars that can't, Really hardly sing at all, but they've got so much charisma that uh, we just want to listen to them yell. Hip-hop was a way for people who couldn't sing at all to make incredibly powerful music, and it ends up obviously becoming uh, one of the dominant musical forms ever. So you have people that find these avenues that play to their strengths, or maybe more importantly, play to the strengths that they want to develop. So I am not a born entrepreneur, truly. Like whatever you want to say an entrepreneur has, I did not have that at birth. I just guarantee it. I had a newspaper route. I was too afraid to knock on people's doors to to collect the money. And I was too lazy to worry about that. So I was just like, "Eh, it's fine. So I got half of the money that I could have gotten delivering uh, the papers, but I was just lazy and scared. I was not voted most likely to succeed in my high school. I wasn't voted class clown, but I got personality plus, which was basically, you like to play around. Um, I didn't take myself seriously in high school. Nobody else did. I don't think anybody would have pointed at me and said, oh, this kid's going to go on to do something. When I left for college, my own mother quietly assumed I was going to fail. I mean, these are just all like true things. And it really wasn't until I began to develop my mindset that I began to be able to empower myself um every entrepreneurial instinct that i have is is wrong what i've done is just throw so many cycles at skill acquisition that I've been able to get better and better and better over time. And maybe one of the most important things, I'm willing to accept what I'm bad at. And so I can just look at that, stare at it nakedly and decide, does it make sense to improve my own skill set, or can I outsource this to somebody else? And because an entrepreneur isn't going to do everything themselves, they can stick to the areas that they've gotten good at and whether that's they got early wins. Because look, I don't think anybody comes out, an opera singer or otherwise, nobody comes out just ready to go, right? You've got to train. So you might have talent. But like Tim Grover, the guy that trained Michael Jordan said that hard work beats talent every time. So if you've got somebody that's talented, but they don't put in the work, they're never going to go anywhere. And if you take somebody that just sort of meets the minimum requirements, but they're going to work their ass off like to an inhuman level, then they can go all the way. Uh, but it ultimately comes down to that willingness to work. So, you know, again, back to specifically an entrepreneur, there are many flavors. Are you, um, so at Quest, there were three founders. We were very different and each of us had very different skill sets, but I would say each of us is a world class entrepreneur, even though one of them was totally risk averse, something that, you know, any entrepreneur would say, Ooh, man, like the one thing you have to have is a stomach for risk. And he just didn't, didn't have a stomach for it whatsoever. But He knew that about himself, and so he partnered with people that were totally willing to take a risk, and and he just rode with it and said, my job is basically to make sure you at least look through all of these potential problems, but I get if we always listen to me that we'd be broke. And I understood on the flip side of that coin that if we always listen to me um, that we would also be broke, just we would have blown through our money instead of never making any. So, you know, really understanding what your strengths are, finding people that have strengths where you are weak. Um, If you're willing to partner with people, I think you really can do something extraordinary. If you don't know how to build teams, find a guy that knows how to build teams, right? Like, find people that can do something that you can't but at the end of the day you have to pick some part of the entrepreneurial equation and go all the way to world world class
0: I love it i love it man i think that that's that's really really insightful components in terms of entrepreneurship and what people can do especially the piece around finding other people who are going to fill those gaps for you i think that that's what i've really seen from entrepreneurs who do get far is that they're not great at everything i think that there's like this misconception that oftentimes the the men and women who make it far are just like great at everything and it and it's not true they they often uh are able to identify their gaps and and fill those gaps with people who are, are complementary to them in, in many ways much like what you were talking about with with the co-founders of quest and so I, I just want to back up a little bit to the mindset component like you talked about you mentioned fixed mindset and that this was something that in the past um you know you had you had kind of like worked through. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm I'm pretty familiar with Carol Dweck's work around mindset and fixed versus growth mindset. And I'm curious for some of the listeners out there who maybe have started to identify some of these uh, hurdles or obstacles that they have in terms of a mindset perspective. What would you recommend on moving the moving the needle from a fixed mindset
1: into a more growth oriented mindset? It really all comes down to cognitive behavioral therapy. You've got to be changing your actions based on this new insight. So Carol Dweck's book is only as amazing as you use it, right? As you embrace the ideas and begin to force yourself into a much more growth mindset action set, because that action set then is going to reinforce your sort of fledgling beliefs about what's possible and about how much you can change your mindset and all of that. Um, and then I put together a book list which you can find on impacttheory.com. It's the twenty-five books that I think people should read in order to acquire an empowering mindset. It goes like the growth mindset is sort of the baseline, but then what are the pieces that you layer onto your value system, your belief system, your skill set in in the other books? And several of the books have to do with actual brain study, understanding neurochemistry, understanding neuroanatomy, like all of that stuff is, I think, very important. You know, if you're going to be an athlete, you better understand the body. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you better understand the mind. And so just understanding how the brain, like its physical structures, its tendencies, what it's evolved to do, once you understand that, then you can fall prey to its idiosyncrasies less and you can leverage its strengths more.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the interesting things that you talk about in terms of impact theory, you know, is that there's that there's really two major pandemics that we face as a species, and and one is body, and, and one is of the mind. And and I wanted to focus on the mind today because I think that, you know, uh, oftentimes in the you know it's it's interesting because oftentimes in the nutritional space or in the fitness space, we focus a lot on on the body, and we focus a lot on the nutritional side of things, and the mind does get some attention. But it usually gets attention in the way of like, oh, just change your mindset, and that's often, you know, at the at the catalyst for a lot of people to shift these other components like their body, like their eating habits, like their you know the nutrition of what they're what they're intaking. And you talk quite a bit about the mindset, which is what we've been sort of uh, touching on along here. And I'm curious as to if there's anything else that you recommend, any sort of. Habits that that you've implemented that have helped you move through or uh, resources that you recommend people check out uh, or even a great episode of of an interview that you've done with somebody that really uh, created a shift for
1: you. Yeah, there's there's been a lot. So going back to um, habits really fast and I'll get into people on the show that have really had a big impact on me habits are big for me. So I really am lazy by nature. And so building in habits and routines to combat that has been really, really important for me. So I go to bed at 9pm like it's a religion. The reason I do that is so that I can wake up early. Uh, I immediately go to the gym, which I do primarily for cognitive optimization. I hate the gym. I do not enjoy it. My wife loves it and gets like this crazy endorphin rush man that is not my experience. So I go in, it's tiring, it hurts, things are heavy, I'm sweating. <laughs> I mean it's just like literally everything I don't want to do, but I know how important it is and I I get the science that just makes it so clear that the connection between the body and the brain is is a two-way street and when you're optimizing the body you're just getting a massive impact on the brain. So I do it. Uh, I also earn discipline and credibility with myself for doing it. I think that's very important, being able to do something that you don't enjoy, but it's in service of your goals. And so doing it anyway, I think is very important uh, for learning who you are and what you're willing to do to achieve. Um, So I do that. Then I meditate, which I think is really powerful to go from that high energy, sympathetic nervous system, all fight or flight, to the parasympathetic nervous system of rest and digest, lowering your heart rate, uh, lowering your breathing, clearing your mind. I think that's very powerful. And even though it's gaining a lot of cultural um, cachet, I think at the same time, there's a lot of people that just aren't doing it. And it's—it's. It's, I avoided it for years, so I get it. But it really is very beneficial for cognitive optimization. Once I finish meditating, meditating creates uh, an alpha wave state in the brain. It's known as a calm creative state. Uh So immediately after meditating, I do what I call thinkitating, where instead of trying to quiet my mind, I'm letting my mind crawl across the biggest problem that I'm facing at that moment, but still from that alpha wave state. So I'm getting very creative insights, uh, which is very, very useful, very powerful. And then I have a most important things list. And as soon as I'm done thinkitating, actually, technically, I think then read and then I go into my most important things list. And it's just a list I keep of the most important things that I should be doing for the business. And I go through them every day. And if I don't take action on something for more than a couple days, I remove it off the list. Because it's really got to be a lean list that you just take immediate action on. There's no like, oh, I'm going to send an email. It's like you're doing things. Uh, you're getting things across the finish line that, that is really, really important. Uh, now the second part of your question, how, what have I learned from some of the guests? Uh, a guest on the show was the one that taught me to meditate, a guy named Mark Devine. Another guy, V.S. Ramachandran, who is one of the most revered neuroscientists in the world came on the show and what he's taught me about the brain and the way that it works, mirror neurons in particular. Um, and the way that we can use mirror neurons to manipulate our own emotions is really incredible. So because of the human ability to create a feedback loop between you and the person that you're talking to, what you'll try to do, like if they're smiling, you'll smile. If they're frowning, you'll frown. And you do that to create what's called theory of mind, where you're able to project yourself into, ooh, they must be feeling like this. The reason you're able to do it is by mimicking their posture, their facial expressions. You actually feel what they feel. Now, what that reveals is that there's a feedback loop of emotion between what you do physically and how you feel. And learning that I could fake a smile, laugh out loud, and it would take me from a bad mood to a good mood necessarily. Like you can't laugh out loud for more than 15 seconds and be in a bad mood. You just can't do it. So times where I was like in a really bad mood, I would force myself to laugh out loud to change the neurochemistry. So that's all stuff that I learned from him. He's just an absolutely breathtaking researcher. Tim Ferriss has been on the show, talked about, you know, what take the person that you hate the most and ask, what can I learn from this person? Uh, Michael Strahan, who talked about happiness as a choice, that you're never going to end up happy by accident. I think that's really, really powerful. Um, Amelia Boone and her notions on bouncing back from defeat and how you do that and what that mental process looks like. David Goggins, who's my favorite episode of all time, what that man taught me about suffering is unbelievable and that you really only truly meet yourself in moments of suffering. And that's something that I've certainly put to use in my life.
0: Incredible. Uh, I love it, man. I love it. And I'm just going to shift gears a little bit because, you know, we've, we've touched on, on mindset and I think you've given some really great sort of tactical insight into what people can do in terms of cultivating a, a deeper sense of, of high performance and shifting our mindsets. And I kind of want to focus a little bit on marketing a little bit and in terms of how you actually built Quest because you sort of had this like meteoric rise and not that we need to talk about the details of Quest nutrition. Cause I think that people can go look at that online. But, you know, you've shifted into impact theory and, and it really is, you know, this incredible media company around leveraging the self sustaining power of commerce to radically influence global culture. And I think from what I've seen around, around what you've done, you seem to understand marketing. And for the average person that's out there that's starting a consulting business or running a a corner coffee shop, What are some of the key components that you've learned along the way uh, around marketing, uh, how to leverage maybe social media, for example,
1: which which you guys have done really extraordinarily well? Thank you. So the there's a lot of information out there about the tactics of social media. So I'll give you something a little more unique that is underlying all of it and is certainly what allowed us to build Quest and I will say is the, the cornerstone of what we're doing at impact theory. And that's be a real human and actually look to connect. So the social age changed everything. And in an instant people that for years languished that a great business and people loved them and their customer service was unparalleled, but it took decades for that word to get out and for a company to really grassroots person by person earn their reputation of always doing the right thing, which by the way, doing the right thing oftentimes is expensive. So when doing the right thing is expensive and it's not a great marketing vehicle, you're in a really bad situation where the companies that accelerate the fastest are the ones that are all about optimization of profits. They're looking at the bottom line. There's not necessarily a symbiotic relationship with their employees, not even a symbiotic relationship with their customers, which is terrifying. And recognizing that social changed everything. And now people that are wired for connection, that actually want good things for their employees and their customers, suddenly that becomes the most potent marketing vehicle ever because people are going to get out there and they're going to talk. And whether they say something good or bad about your company is entirely dependent on how you treat people, how good your product is, and how much energy you put into just taking care of people, always doing the right thing. And so social media has made that, like those are now the kings. The king makers are transparency and authenticity. People today, millennials, Gen Z especially, like they want to feel connected to the human beings behind the company. They want to know what are you doing with the profits? Like where do you sit? What do you care about? What's the impact that you want to have on the world? They care about that when thinking about whose product they're going to buy. Now to me, That is amazing. And that's the thing that's allowed me to build big businesses and build them fast because that's my natural inclination. I want good things for people. I get totally jazzed. Seeing somebody come alive and realize that they can do more than they thought they could do, I absolutely love that. And for me, I have a code that I live by and I don't violate that code, not even when it's good for business. So the fact that I'm now like, I am fully aware, and this was actually in the back of my mind when I was answering your question about can anybody be a world class entrepreneur? To be honest, certain personality types and certain skill sets are going to shine in different times. And it just so happens that the skill set that I've been building since I was younger for other reasons with the timing of social media made it now so that I can do big things. But 20 years ago, my personality style, the things that I respond to, the things that I wanna do, good luck. Because if I had gone out 20 years ago and said, I'm gonna build a studio that that rivals Disney and I'm gonna do it by building um, empowering content people be like, good luck. Disney's so well-funded. Like, No matter how good your content is, you're just never going to be able to build the audience that's going to care enough for you to fund that. So now I live in a world, I can build an audience. There's no gatekeeper, right? I can go on. People can hear what I'm like. They can meet me at an event. I'll stay at an event. I've stayed at an event answering questions after I got off stage for up to eight hours because I want people to know I'm here to serve and I'm willing to suffer to help you. So people see that. You get an opportunity to go to an event like that. But now it's not just me and the like 30 or 40 people that I'm there answering questions for. All those people are now tweeting, live streaming, um, Snapchatting, IGing, you know, like whatever their platform of choice is, they're putting that out into the world. So more people are going, whoa, like... This is unusual. You don't see this a lot. And so now you can build that audience, right? Money follows attention. So you've got this audience and if your product is good and it's actually designed to help them and the world at large, they'll get behind.
0: Nice. Uh, I love that, man. And just just that one line, you know, money money follows attention I think is is absolutely huge, you know, and and I think you can have negative attention and you're going to have very positive attention and, it, and it's you know, it's Incredible to hear somebody who's really trying to cultivate that positive attention. I just wanted to back up to the the point that you made uh, around integrity um and and around authenticity and uh sorry transparency and authenticity. And you know, how do you curate your social media not social media necessarily, but how do you curate your company and the sort of cultural DNA uh within within your organization? around that transparency and around that inclusivity, because it seems to be something that really is at the heart and soul of, of everything that you do and everything that you talk about. And I'm curious as to, you know, how other people can start to implement that because we say things like transparency and inclusivity and in some of these words, but I don't think that people really know how to implement them in sort of like a tactical way within their businesses.
1: So do you have any insight on that? Yeah, definitely. So you've got to obviously bake it into your culture in a very real way. So uh, I'll give you an example. When the team sees me um, strategize, come up with, you know, ideas about how we're going to execute and then come on to a Facebook live and say, look, I actually care, dear audience, about helping you achieve. So I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm doing so that you can watch as we go. Um, and yes, that means that if you can out execute me, you already have my business plan. You already know exactly what I'm doing and you could beat me at my own game. So they get like that one, I have an abundance mindset. So when I tell them to greet each other with an abundance mindset, to never look at a teammate as a competitor and to really understand that we're here to help each other and push each other to be sure, but that we're all on the same team. We want to elevate them and what we're doing. Also, when I say, hey, the mission behind this company is to pull people out of the matrix. And then they see me act in accordance with that. They see me stand around and answer questions for eight hours because I actually want to help these people. They see that that's really true. And so that all then fuels like what this company really is. It lets them know what the direction is from a business execution standpoint, as well as this is cheesy, but it's so true. People need to hear me from a spiritual level. They need to know like, what does it mean to work at this company? What am I going to feel? What can I expect to feel? What do you want me to help others feel like? And having those conversations. And when you talk transparency, we just did on Friday. We did our, a whole half day. The team gathered around and we took what was called um, a captivate quiz. Essentially, it was this woman, Vanessa Van Edwards, who actually came on the show, Impact Theory. And when I was reading her book, I realized, whoa, she's got these incredibly powerful insights into understanding people's personalities, their driving value system and all that. She's got really cool ways to help each other figure out what those are. And we just talked like it was super vulnerable. And everybody's talking about, okay, like, how do I like to be communicated with? What is um, a way that you can show me appreciation that I'll actually hear and be grateful for? So doing that kind of stuff and making it formal is really, really critical. And then as you scale, let me just give you a hard one insight as you scale, you're only as good as what you write down. So you really want to believe that like, you can have those policies where it's like, okay, you only officially get five sick days. But look, if you need more, like I'll give you more. Nope, it doesn't work. You're only as good as what you write down. And that is something that I really learned the hard way. And don't be afraid to write amazing shit down. So don't be afraid to say we have an unlimited vacation policy. Like, I think that there's a lot of scarcity mindset when people are building out documents like that. And I think the goal of your company should be to find employees that can handle, okay, that's important, that can handle being autonomous, and then give them autonomy. So why do we have an unlimited vacation policy? It is not so you will take off every day. It is not so you will take off no days. It is so you know, it is entirely up to you what days you take off. So that to me is very, very important. Now, if somebody took the piss and they're sorry, that's a British phrase. If somebody was like abusing the system, then yeah, I would say like, look, this is crazy. You're not getting your work done. So that is something that you would have to address. And anybody that would then be confused, like, wait, we have an unlimited vacation policy. They're misunderstanding it. The unlimited vacation policy isn't so you can take so many days off that you're not getting your job done. It's so that you can take a day off whenever you want so that you're totally in control. So when something amazing comes up, go. But I own the company so I could literally take any day off I want ever. And yet who works the most hours? Me. So that's what it means to be all in to, you know, really try to accomplish something. I'm not working hours so that people see me working hours. I'm working hours because that's what my goals demand. So when you can create an environment where that's reinforced, where everybody in the company is putting positive peer pressure on each other to live up to the values of the company and the values are clearly elucidated, and you remember you're only as good as you what you write down, then you've got a shot.
0: I love it. I love it. And it sounds, you know, there's there's some really incredible things that you just that you just touched on. But I, what I really grasp out of that is something that we've really tried to hone in on is, is that transparency. You know, I think that a lot of people are talking about vulnerability, you know, after Brene Brown uh, had her had her book come out there and greatly in her TED talk, and she talked a lot about their, uh, about vulnerability, and it seems to be tossed around a lot, and, and people, uh, you know, sort of misuse it sometimes. But I like the way that you describe transparency, because it almost is like a form of vulnerability where you're being authentic in and around your goals. You're being authentic in and around what you're striving towards, what you're driving towards. And then you're also being transparent and authentic with, you know, shortfalls and things that might not be working very well and, and where you stand. And so I, I really appreciate all that. And the final sort of piece that I feel like this all alludes to and points to and, and, and sort of is the culmination of everything that we've been talking about is this idea of community and the, and the idea that really a lot of people right now in this age of, you know, the digital explosion, have found themselves feeling somewhat missing out on community. And so it seems to be seems to be that that's really at the heart and soul of what you're doing with impact theory, because I know that that's what we're doing with Mantox is creating this, you know, international and then global community. So can you unpack a little bit for me why community is so important and and sounds like is at the is at the heart of what you're doing with impact theory?
1: Yeah, there's really two reasons. One, Humans are a social animal. And so the social pressure to fit into the group is very, very real, even for people who self-identify as like, oh, I don't fall prey to peer pressure. Uh, This isn't true. So if you're in a group, you will aspire to conform to those norms. So being very selective about what groups you belong to is very, very powerful from a get out of the matrix perspective. So since my goal is to help people get out of the matrix, I know I need to create an empowering community that they can be a part of. And, and one of the things that we're doing is actually creating in real life meetups so that not only are you a part of this bigger global community, but also locally, you're going to, on a monthly basis, be able to get together with other like-minded people that believe in our ethos, that are awash in our content, so that you've got this baked in group of people that share your mindset. That, I think, is very, very powerful, and there's a lot of accountability in that, and that accountability, I think, is very useful for people to build something in their own life that's extraordinary. The other part of the reason is community from what we're trying to do from building the studio perspective, it empowers us. So if you're David and you're fighting Goliath, you cannot play Goliath's game. So I'm up against Disney. So how am I going to win against Disney? Well, I am certainly not going to try to throw money at things because that's what Disney has in spades and they can throw a nigh infinite amount of money at problems and they're going to crush me out every time. So, We've got to have a different strategy. And our strategy is it's a long-term play. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's to build community first on a property before we try to go sell it, monetize it. So that is, I think, going to service very, very well. And you can imagine, so I'll give you an example, um, Fifty Shades of Grey, the woman that wrote that, wrote that on like a fan fiction website, and she had 5 million readers before the book was ever published let that sink in for a second. She had 5 million fans before the book was ever published. So when she went to a publisher and said, Hey, I have 5 million fans and I want to publish this now as a novel. Are you in? They were like, yes, of course. That's the biggest no brainer in the world. Every publisher, their only fear is that no one's ever going to buy the book. But when you've already got this massive built-in audience who Believes in the project, believes in what you're doing. There's social proof to that. So when we go to uh, a studio or to, you know, a Netflix or an Amazon, Apple, whoever it is that we're trying to get to buy one of our movies, TV shows, whatever that if we could do that with 500,000, a million people that are gathered around that project that really believe in it, we are now unlike anyone else that's bringing something to the table. So that is um, just incredibly important to us because right now everybody else has to go buy that IP that already has the audience. They're not creating, they they either know how to create the property or they know how to create the audience and we'll be the first ones doing both. I love it, man. I love it. Well, just because uh, we got to start wrapping
0: up here, the, the last question I wanted to to drop your way is how do you feel like how do you feel uh, technology is going to shift some of this community building? you know we see a lot of gamifying happening uh, there's a lot of talking about gamifying you know on, on Facebook groups and and that kind of stuff and'm I'm, I'm curious to to get your insight on on how tech is going to continue to shift our in-person, community building.
1: Yeah, you you brought up the one that I actually think is most powerful, which is gamification, which if you substitute the word gamification for the mechanisms of obsession, I think that you'll get it, right? People get obsessed with things. Like think about people that uh, start going to the gym and they get obsessed. What they're getting obsessed with are the numbers. I can lift more weight. I look better. The scale's going in the right direction. My um, physique is going in the right direction. They have these metrics that they're looking at that get them excited about the metric, right? When you're lifting, you get excited about being able to lift that next bit of weight. You get excited about your abs showing up a little bit more. So you get into this amazing self-reinforcing loop, uh, which is what gamification lets people do. So it lets you take things that by themselves may not be as enjoyable, and you add this layer, this desire to level up, even when the leveling up has absolutely no real-world implication Other than maybe your name goes higher on a leaderboard, or you get, you know, money that you can spend within that system, you know, whatever the case may be, but people get really jazzed about that. And I think that's going to have a huge, huge impact. And then I think that social platforms at the peripheries anyway, I think Facebook is more or less here to stay. Uh, I think Instagram is more or less here to stay, but at the periphery, I think you're going to see things come and go, and there's going to be fresh things that pop up all the time. And so it'll be really interesting to see sort of what that next wave um, is that allows us to connect in a more meaningful way. So I'll be eager to see who does what.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see how that unfolds. And then the, the last question. Uh, two two parts. First and foremost, if you could recommend any guest for the Man Talks podcast, because we've had some of our uh, greatest guests come on here, like Jason Silva, who have been recommended to us. Uh, who
1: would you recommend and why? Uh, I'll give you two, because these guys are just incredible, incredible human beings. And they are Faraz Zahabi. And Faraz Zahabi is an MMA coach. And in my opinion, is, is the modern day warrior philosopher. So he is um, George St. Pierre's coach. Uh, is a very talented mixed martial artist himself, but he has a degree in philosophy, is one of the most articulate and intelligent people I've ever met in my life. I mean, the guy's just unbelievable. Uh, you would love having him on. And then the other is David Goggins. And David Goggins is, he says in his own words, he used to be the weakest man God ever created, and he decided one day that he was going to become the strongest man, that, or the hardest man, I should say, that God ever created. And what he did with his life from that point is absolutely astonishing, not the least of which is becoming a Navy SEAL, um, serving in Iraq, going on to um, be one of the most decorated ultra-endurance athletes on the planet. This guy's story is it's unparalleled. I've never met anyone like him. He's just on another planet. It's
0: incredible, Amazing. Amazing. Well, thanks very much for the insight. Uh, for everybody else out there that wants to learn more about Tom, uh, you can go to impacttheory.com. Uh, definitely check out the YouTube channel. they got some incredible, incredible videos there and interviews. Um, Tom, thank you so much for joining me on the Mantox podcast.
1: Thanks for having me on, man. It was an honor.
0: Wonderful. And for everybody else out there, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Head on over to mantox.com for more blog posts, podcasts, Uh, And check out some of the live events that we've got going on nationwide all across North America. Till next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week on the Mantox podcast for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.